What is up, Brad fans? Uh, by this point, I think you know what I'm going to say. Follow us on all of our channels at Two Brad for You, Twitter, Instagram. Also, you know, rate, subscribe to the show wherever you're getting podcasts. Comment that also really helps us. And you know, tell a friend. Why not? Um, having said all that, this episode uh, sees good friend of the show, Jared Cuthbertson, over there in Vancouver, join us. Uh, And he had the idea for this episode, which started with an article he sent me about researchers giving ecstasy to octopuses. So then we got down the wormhole of animal experiments with psychedelics, why you would do that, and the weird history of that. So we start there. But um, Jared also suggested that we talk to his his friend over also on the west coast in vancouver owen roach who has gone on uh the ayahuasca retreat and an ayahuasca retreat which is ayahuasca is a pretty powerful psychedelic it's used in traditional cultures in the amazon so indigenous cultures in the amazon um as a you know spiritual guide medicine this kind of thing it's plant-based it ends up being the active chemicals like dmt so it's a very strong um psychedelic and it's becoming more and more popular along with the the popularity of psychedelics to be um used to help with um issues of mental illness or just you know wanting to explore um your psyche, I guess. I mean, Owen had his reasons for doing it, which he will explain. And I think um, that's important to note is that it's like, we're not talking about this just as like, take some drugs and have a good time, trip out, you know, now this is really meant to be in the vein of a, I don't know, treatment is maybe the wrong word, because it's not necessarily like you don't necessarily have to have a diagnosed mental illness to benefit from this. But to, 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 I think the point I'm trying to make is to keep it in that vein. You know, this isn't a frivolous thing. Um, And I really want to thank Owen for coming on and and talking about his experience because, I mean, it is a personal thing. So he was uh, really great, really open, um, had some really interesting insights into the experience, what it meant to him, how it all worked. Um, And so it was a a really fun conversation. Um, So I want to thank Jared for setting that up. And coming on the show again, as always, he's a pleasure to to pod with. And yeah, I'll just say thank you again to Owen for for coming on and sharing his experience. So there we go. You've heard the intro. Enjoy the conversation. All right, folks, welcome. Welcome to this episode where we're going to be talking a little bit about, if you've listened to the show, you know that I enjoy this subject. So we're going to be talking a little bit about psychedelics, psychedelic medicines, the plant medicines as I call them. And what better way to to talk about this than bring in two dudes over there on the, you know, the West Coast, the coast that's synonymous with hippies and and all of these sorts of fun medicines. My good buddy, Jared, friend of the show, Jared Cuthbertson is back. Jared, what's up? Not too much, man. Just uh, gonna just thinking about doing some medicines uh, this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right on. You got well, a good role. Talk about medicine, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jared, you brought with you 
Uh, this is my good friend Owen, who is also very, uh, uh, I don't know what do you call, uh, got a depth of knowledge when it comes Experience, to, uh, we'll say. yeah, yeah. He's Experience. a junkie. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to make you sound too, too out there, but Owen, thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to be here, and we'll get into your sort of experience um, at a down in Peru at a at an ayahuasca retreat. But let's start, Jared, because you sent me this article the other day, and I, Owen, you can chime in as you see fit on this. Mm-hmm. But Jared sent me this thing the other day. It was from two years ago, I think now. What did you, what, how, how are you framing it, Jared? The MDMA puss? Yeah, yeah, MDMA to puss. That <laughs> they, they, they uh, study giving MDMA to octopuses. Yeah, why? I mean, if you could pick one animal to give like MDMA to, who I think it would be like an octopus, makes perfect sense. <laughs> like, they got all those tentacles to touch and feel. And that. That's what I was thinking. So, yeah. many, so many things to touch with. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just want to know if they have those, um, you know, the raver soothers, if they provided enough raver, raver soothers for each arm. Mm. Octopuses can change on color it. on their own. They don't need them, man. They're their mm. own mobile yeah, rave unit. Imagine how many bracelets they could each wear, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Full access octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I found interesting about this story. I mean, and then we so I, I, I we did a little bit of reading um, about like the history of giving psychedelics to animals, which seems sketchy to me at best. Like I can understand why you would do it. Um, there's certain reasons why you would, you know, like with anything, why we use animals for the, for these kind of tests. But some of the other ones that I that I was looking Fun. at, I was like, watch out. <laughs> yeah. It just seemed a little it's fun like, to watch really... animals trip out, man. I think that's. I mean, yeah. talk to any high school stoner with a with a pet dog, and they'll they'll tell you that. So yeah, um, but the octopus one was interesting because the way they administered it, they just dunked, they like put them in tanks of MDMA yeah. water, which was MDMA like, brine and fucking yeah, let them let them stew in that for a bit. But they did see <laughs> that um, they were like more social, so the octopuses became more social with each mm-hmm. other than they normally would, and you know, touching and feeling and getting all cuddly um well oh yeah an, an octopus cuddle pedal um seems terrifying where does it start at. where does it end right yeah yeah right, right? I, <laughs> it's like a king rat <laughs> whose whose arm is whose yeah um and i mean but i mean with a lot of these things it always seems to me like um yeah that's what i would expect to happen you know but i guess the idea yeah. the researchers well, were we're saying is that it's like because they have such complex nervous systems and stuff like this, it does kind of model human, you know. Yeah, like I, I guess the way that they process like serotonin is like very similar to human beings, mm-hmm. right? And so, like MDMA, I think like whatever it says, like it affects the neurotransmitters um, and like your serotonin, like the same way serotonin builds up in between your synapses, mm-hmm. is the same as. Uh, as people, even though like their brain, I think is a uh, like a donut. It's got a big hole in the middle. Yeah, Ooh. it's definitely a different like physical structure. Yeah, and, I mean, it, isn't it like I don't know? I could be talking out of my ass here now. I probably should have looked this up. But isn't it more kind of like they always say that the octopus brain is like they have like small brains in the arms, like these like nerve bundles in the arms or something? So well, it seems I don't know about that. Yeah, 
maybe it's a bit more I decent. Don't, that, that, sounds, mm. that sounds like a dream I had last week, I think. <laughs> like you, when you had brains in your hands? Yeah, yeah, each of my fingers had a little brain. They were all fighting with each other. Yeah, these <laughs> hands, hands got a mind of their own. This isn't my fault. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, so that was interesting, and it sent me down, like I said, down a down a road. And uh, Jared, there's another one that that uh, article that kind of summarized the history of or a select history of mm-hmm. psychedelics and animals. The one that shocked and horrified me out of that article, which we'll post to the website and stuff like that, so you can check it out, um, was putting monkeys in a. Uh, I knew you were going to go for this one when you said horrified. Yeah, they put monkeys in a sensory deprivation box and then gave them access to DMT mm. with the, with the the great hypothesis of will they smoke it or not. Um and they did. 2 out of 3 did. 2 out of 3. Wait, I wait think. monkeys know how to how to smoke something? These were special monkeys them. that knew how to smoke. Yeah, you have to train them how to smoke first. Oh. Um so then yeah, they get trained how to smoke and then um they put them in these boxes, so light deprived, sound deprived, sensory deprivation, and they left. But they them had all the-, the food and water they want. Right. Mm-hmm. So they had food and water. <laughs> they, they weren't savages. Come on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it, let's let's make this clear too. This was done in like 1980 or something. So I I really yeah. don't think we're doing these kind of experiments anymore. So for anyone that's like getting super shocked about this, like I said, I was I'm I'm cool it's with pretty animal horrifying. Testing, like this. Is- yeah, I don't know if That'd this be a is... night. That's a nightmare situation. But yeah, yeah they, they have it was like uh, DMT uh, laced cigarettes, right? Yeah. And then they give right. them the, they give them one smoke a day or something. I think they were and... able to yeah go to like it's like a smoking tube in the box. That's right. They go yeah. up to this tube and the cigarette thing is in there, and I think they could get it like wasn't it even like once every two hours or something. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe it was once. Maybe that seemed like a lot. That's so why I assumed I was like, "That's a lot of DMT for a monkey." But what do I know? I'm not yeah, a monkey I'm... in a. I'm not a monkey in a dark box. Who knows okay, so, how much DMT? So, like, what were the what? What did they find? What were the results? Um, so this is where, like I said, this is what. Other than like the horrifying like nothing, yeah. of putting these things in there, this is what I really questioned about it. Was like, what are we trying to find here? And <laughs> really, the question yeah. that they had was will the monkeys self-administer the drug in this yeah. environment? Because I guess in in a, in like a normal laboratory setting, they generally don't do, they won't, like they'll try it or something, but then they, will, they'll, they won't do it again. Like they won't willingly go for it. And I think they even said yeah. that even when they tied giving them water to do, doing the DMT, like it went outside of the box, Mm-hmm. They were averse to doing it. So even when like something as 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 required as water was tied to doing the DMT, they really avoided doing the DMT. So it's not like they they like it. And then, but in the box, you know, and they left them there for like like it was like fifteen days or something like that. Um, they would two of the three yeah. monkeys would do it regularly, you know. Yeah. Um, but when they were in the box, the and one out of the three. Go ahead. Yeah, the one, the third one didn't. Uh, he did it once and then didn't do it again. And they figured that he didn't do it again because he overdosed on the first one. He just got too and high. Like, he tripped too hard the first time and was like, no thanks. I'm he had a really, really bad trip. So that was basically the question. Like, as far as I could, you know, I skimmed through the report that they wrote and stuff like that, the scientific report. And it was like, 
hey, yeah. it turns out they'll they'll do it. But I mean, if you know anything about the psychology of like boredom, it's like people, humans will yeah. even administer shocks to themselves uh, when when put in a, you know, in a low stimulus environment, like boredom is such a such a bad, you know, situation for social primates, humans and, and others yeah. that it's like, you'd be willing to do almost anything to get rid of it. So to me, it's like, this says nothing mm. about the drug. This says nothing about, it says more about boredom to me. So I don't So, so they inferred that like, because of the lack of stimulation in the sensory deprivation box, these monkeys were more prone to, to use the DMT. Yeah. Just yeah. to like have a trip. Like they said, they'd be like kind of moving their hands around, like clearly like getting like tracers from their hands. It's like just like getting a little bit of stimulus, even if it was horrifying, I think it was better than like no stimulus. Mm. Yeah. So, and I don't know that if that was like, I mean, that's what it says to me. Right. And like I said, knowing a little bit about some past research into boredom and stuff like that, it's, it's, it's not that unheard of to think that that they would do that. So I don't know if they were really, maybe they, there was more writing at the time or something. Like I said, it was from the eighties where they were trying to say like, oh, this is something more about psychology of using these things or mood altering aspects of it. Because, you know, like there's other, there's a history of animals that, that you that get fucked up you know there's animals that go out of their way to do it in the wild mm -hmm. whether it's like for mostly getting drunk a lot of the time isn't it yeah well i think that's probably because that's the easiest it's the easiest way to do it. yeah you know like the elephants but... there's those have you seen those videos of lemurs who like chew on that caterpillar no and then like yeah, they chew on this like poisonous caterpillar it's crazy to watch so they, they get this poisonous caterpillar and they munch on it and it makes them like salivate and it kind of like dilutes the poison in the caterpillar and then they take their saliva and rub it all over their fur so it like gets absorbed to their skin. And then they just like, Lemur's eyes are already very dilated. <laughs> but to see like a fully dilated tripping lemur is like, it's very, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, well, he's drew, like it's, it's quite horrifying actually. <laughs> but um, the other one that I found that was kind of funny was um, they did some research giving uh, Coke to bees, like cocaine. <laughs> That sounds terrible. So productive. Once again, though, like, so we're going to give Coke to something, but yeah, let's give it to bees. They're so busy. Yeah. <laughs> coked up bees. Um, it's, like a, it's like a model for, uh, you know, Wall Street traders or something like this, you know, in the hive. <laughs> so, Maybe well, that's dude. the solution, right? Because the, because, I'm hearing about all these troubles with bees dying all the time. If we make the bees Maybe. twice or three times as productive by giving them cocaine, then we can have we get more production out of these bees. bees as we need, right? That's a really good point. Hmm. Good point. Good write point. Your, uh, write your member of parliament um, to give coke <laughs> to the bees. It's not going to be cheap, but I think we can do it. No, so they, they, because uh, like I guess like the coca plant itself, like it produces. <clears throat> Um, like cocaine, it's uh, mm -hmm. it's poisonous to insects, right? So like oh, that's the main reason mechanism. why, yeah, defense mechanism um, that it produces it so it doesn't get munched on by caterpillars. But I guess if they synthesized out whatever the the, uh, the poisonous component was, and then they gave it to the bees, which I don't think the article said how they were giving the coke to the bees. I don't imagine they were making. Yeah, a tiny but... bee do tiny lines of coke. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think with a stinger, maybe. Bees definitely don't have no. It was probably it was probably a sugar solution or something. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I assume they were boofing it. Stigmata. I, I, I assume they were boofing it. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they were parachuting it there. Lovely. And but, what did they find? Well, they found out, so like, I guess like the way bees um, communicate that there's resources nearby, they do a little dance. The bee, the wiggle dance, yeah. Yeah, the wiggle dance. The wiggle dance was far more frantic and they would exaggerate the amount of resources. <laughs> <laughs> so it is like, like, it's like yeah, like the bees are just literally dancing and spitting out amazing business ideas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the scientists nailed it on like, this one. It's, it's, yeah, it's literally like, what do you go back to? It's like, yeah, these are, I don't know. Yeah, these are the effects. Apparently, it's just a one to one ratio. Yeah. <laughs> Of effects on humans to anything. Yeah, cocaine. Doesn't matter what species you are. Turns you into an asshole. Yeah, yeah, it turns, you, yeah it turns you into a chattery, irritating asshole. <laughs> I wonder if they did the next, the follow-up was like, how do the other bees react to the coked-up bees? Like, yeah, they're all like, they just start, yeah, yeah. I'm just not even listening to this guy anymore. But they also, but they also had, uh, they went to withdrawal as well. Which was like, they tested their memory, they had memory loss and uh, mm, stuff, mm. things like that makes sense and i mean i guess this is like you know this is where you would you know use animals because you want to look at the often they'll you know sacrifice the animal after the study and look at the changes in the brain or they measure yeah. brain chemistry and stuff like that stuff that you just can't do in the humans people. especially back in in the days when they were doing some of this stuff the other interesting one that they did with um insects well i guess not insects excuse me um arachnids yeah not oh. insects Almost lost almost, your science license. I almost lost my license there. Yeah, geez. Um, was giving different substances to spiders and seeing how it affects their web. Um, and wow. so this is a. I, th I thought you might have heard of this one already, Jared. But I think I've heard them giving marijuana. Uh, yeah. So they did like caffeine, uh, marijuana, and LSD. Uh, to spiders and looked at their webs and what they found was like with everything it was basically the web like structure like the in you know the pattern mm -hmm. of it like the way that they they build it was got worse with more drug um, and with caffeine they got smaller the webs got smaller but except for um, LSD in that case the the like intricacy of the pattern was wow. better like it was more detailed and it was more crazy you know, fractal yeah. web yeah exactly mm. and i mean I, I didn't see the pictures of it or anything like that but this is kind of interesting to me because there is a like web building is like it's it's when you think of like you know a spider like it doesn't learn how to build a web it just knows how to do it from the beginning of its life so there's some kind of it's like this really instinctual you know process that's somehow encoded in the tiny little spider brain right so it's something there so then you're adding this substance that can alter how that you know that the blueprint of that plan in a certain way which is really interesting and there's actually um, a parasitoid wasp so parasitoids are um, generally usually wasps but they're instead of a parasite that like lives in and on you um, during your life that's a normal parasite a parasitoid is it lays its eggs on the thing and then the larvae hatch and eat that thing so it kills it so you see this and like i said wasps there's a lot of wasps that do this they'll lay eggs onto a cockroach or a caterpillar or something like that and these things then hatch and then eat the 
eat the host alive. So it's a lot like the the movie Aliens, you know, like it's just it's just gnarly, gross stuff. But these things often have um, venoms and poisons and stuff that they use to like incapacitate the host while they're laying the eggs on it or things like this. Mm -hmm. But there's one and it's found in Costa Rica, I believe, and it'll sting the spider, its spider host, and lay a single um, egg on the spider. And then the spider like goes about doing its normal things until that um, egg like is about ready to reach maturity. And then the spider actually builds a totally unique web that only infected spiders build. And Ooh. it's designed specifically to make a cocoon that the spider then puts itself in the cocoon Whoa. and encases itself in there. The maggot, the, the larvae, the wasp larvae eats the spider inside of that cocoon and then uses the cocoon to metamorphose into the pairs into the full grown wasp and then comes out of this cocoon. So in this poison, there's something that is encoding it. That's like telling the spider to rewrites there and it makes this new web. Yeah. Wow. And so they did a bunch of experiments where they would like remove the, the larvae and stuff from the, from the spider at different time points and see if it would still make this web. And it was, wow. oh shit, I should have looked it up again, but it was like dependent on the thing being there. So there was some kind of like chemical communication stuff going on, which then reminds you of the, you know, this LSD experiment. Yeah. It's like you can specifically manipulate these sort of instinctual, I guess, if you want to call it things, behaviors in insects with some kind of a chemical, you know, yeah. which and is just, that's... And I kind of like, if you talk to people who do a lot of, uh, you know, who are like well-versed in psychedelics, right. It's, um, you know, you can kind of like, I think a lot of like the aim is to kind of, like you said, like rewrite how you process, um, like your life and stimuli, like yeah. kind of the same way, right. Like you're trying to just rewrite your fucking base code or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, yeah, this brings us to the, the use of psychedelics in humans. Yeah. Right. Cause it is, I mean, the, the scientific community right now is really into it because of the effects for potential what looked to be healing effects for mental illness like depression mainly i think is the PTSD. one ptsd yeah that kind of stuff those are the ones i think that are mostly studied and from you know the the episode i did where i went to that conference the mind conference in berlin here um speaking with some people who were doing this research so that we're using psilocybin with you know um treatment resistant depression patients the treatment resistant in, in that they've tried other things and it just if their depression doesn't get worse and then they do these guided um, psilocybin therapy sessions so one of the researchers i talked to was like we don't really know like what the model is like how it works mm -hmm. or you know what the what the best way to administer therapy is they had this model that they developed where it was like you're basically you're able to go in and find your trauma and like confront it during the psilocybin trip because of the way that the psilocybin, you know, is working on your brain, it makes that a more um, accessible place to go and less sort of, I guess, traumatic in the yeah. in living of it. Because so I think it like rewiring um, conditioned, you know, like, I don't know, like, let's say just for example, you're, you're afraid of spiders, for example, I guess it's like, 
the the rewiring that goes on with the during the the psilocybin allows you to like break that connection of fear with spiders or something i don't mm -hmm. know and I don't well, think also, anyone really knows how it how it all works. So. Yeah, I think a lot of it too, like especially like using um, MDMA for like treating PTSD. It's like mm -hmm. it says, yeah, like it allows you, like if you're with a psychiatrist, right, or a therapist, um, it allows you to like talk about that trauma without having like, uh, just normally like you, where you would be triggered by that trauma, mm -hmm. right? And then I think mm -hmm. your brain starts closing down to protect you from that. So like you go, you have like an episode and you totally shut down, allows you yeah, to talk and like work through that because like, because your brain is just being pumped full of uh, serotonin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting, like the, you know, Brad, you mentioned um, being able to say like, like to simplify things, being able to overcome a fear of spiders or something like this, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, it, it's around this, this like bypassing of the, the, the things that are normally in the way, I think. And, and, you know, it's, it's also possible to overcome fears like this with lucid dreaming with mm. um, like, uh, and I, I got into this for, for a little bit and I was reading some books on lucid dreaming and a lot of people have overcome like fear, fears of like spiders or dogs or something like this that originates from some sort of traumatic childhood experience. And uh, when, when this type of fear materializes in a dream, um, through the act of lucid dreaming, becoming aware of the dream and then being able to consciously make decisions in the dream. I was reading about a lot of people who have um, overcome fears in waking life through confront confronting that fear in a dream scenario. So say you're running away from a giant spider in your dream and this is a recurring dream that you've had for fucking years, right? Yeah. And like, uh, the and then, but suddenly you become aware of the dream through your practice of lucid dreaming and you turn around and you confront the spider and I was reading that, that like, this is something that people have used repeatedly is like the act of stopping, like no longer running, turning around, facing the thing that's chasing you. And then yeah. just asking it a simple question, what do you want? And yeah. it, it, it like over and over again, I was reading that in many cases, like the thing that was chasing the person would just stop and then turn into something like friendly or like transform into another thing and then just say something simple like, oh, I just want to be friends. And then after waking up from that dream, the people found that they were no longer afraid of this thing yeah. because they had somehow like, they had got to their, like they had accessed something in their subconscious and changed the way that they perceived something at mm -hmm. this base level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that like, is it like cognitive behavioral therapy and stuff like this? confronting the thing that you're the source of the trauma or, or stuff like this is a big is a big part of it so I guess it's like whether it's a dream or a, a drug stage or something but being able to safely get at that you know mm -hmm. which then makes you think it's like with virtual reality you could like set yeah. up these you know environments where people could you know, if you if you had good enough virtual reality but that's maybe <laughs> maybe that's a topic for another day but um, yeah, it's interesting to me. And I mean, but the thing with the, with the drug, the, the, the dream thing, I'd never heard of that, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, the thing with the, with the psychedelic angle of it, though, too, is that there is some change in brain chemistry. So maybe there's a change yeah. in brain chemistry going on in your dream state. I don't know. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised. But well, you get well, it's this... like you're accessing DMT, right? In the dream state, like DMT mm. is uh, flooding into your system. Mm, um, that's a good point you know so it, it's like the like in many ways very similar to the, the ayahuasca ex experience 
um, or smoking DMT. What, although I've never smoked DMT, but I, from what I've heard is that it's almost too intense to, <laughs> it's just, it's very intense and quick, isn't it? Yeah, and, that's and, yeah, my quick in, quick in human years. Quick in, yeah. in human years. <laughs> yeah, but when you're in the alternate dimension, then it's yeah. actually existed for hundreds of years. Yeah, of course, yeah, right? right. <laughs> of course. Every good scientist knows that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting area. And I mean, it's one that like, it's easy to um, discredit, like for people to be like, that's just, you know, you're a bunch of hippies doing this stuff. But it's really cool that there is more and more research, actual like good research going into yeah. it. Um, there's still a lot of, you know, like I said, talking with the people at this conference and stuff and doing some some a little interviews here and there with some other people about it. I mean, there's a lot of people that are still really skeptical of of it because, you know, for reasons like um, there's no good placebo to do a controlled, a placebo controlled trial for yeah. a lot of psychedelic studies. Oh. So when they're researching these things in depression patients and stuff like that in the lab, you can't really say, um, you can't really use the placebo setup. Right. It's like people know it's pretty obvious when you're when you're on I, a, I, a psychedelic or not. Um, I mean, and that's just sort of like a you know a, a methodological thing about it. You can still look at you know there's other ways you can design an experiment where you you know you have a depressed person and they self-report to you their symptoms, which is what any psycho like these are standard psych psychological tests, questionnaires, things like that. You tell your symptoms and you get like sort of a rating of your depression you go through a thing like this and then you report back and you look for improvement in the symptoms um, that the patients are mm -hmm. telling you. That's one way to do it. But I guess you never, then you you never really know what the mechanism is, right? Like, so we don't know what the, we can, the people are getting better, but are they getting better because they think they're, because it's placebo or it's actually a, something, right. drug, something like that. I mean, it's, well, it, there's a I, lot I know. of, so you're talking just around like expectation setting because people are coming yep. into this with the expectation that they are going to be able to solve something. They right. then, so, right. So you're, so you're unable to solve to it and then they solve. Yeah. You're unable to differentiate if, well, I mean, but, but can, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Is that. And, I, set, I, and setting we know plays such a huge role in the drug experience itself. It's like some researchers are even talking about psychedelics as almost like a super placebo. You know, where it's like, we don't know if it's chemically doing stuff to alleviate depression or something like that, but it might put you in such a receptive state that you're, you know, healing yourself, which kind of goes to what we were talking about before. Where it's like, it puts you in this state where you can, you can heal yourself kind of thing. But these are just some of the questions that, that have come up in the scientific community as to like, what is going on here that are difficult to, uh, difficult to answer. Hmm. Well, I, I think that is what, what's happening. You know, we it you are in the in this situation healing yourself, um, in in my opinion anyway. But but it's like it, in a way that wouldn't be possible without the the help of this of the mm -hmm. substance or medicine, whatever you're taking. Yeah, well, and I mean, but and, and you, you could you could talk about it the like antidepressants in the same way, where it's like if you're if the goal of antidepressants could be just to, I mean, like traditional antidepressants that you get prescribed over the counter kind of thing where if the goal is just to stop the symptoms so that you can then, you know, work on other things, like this is cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Like it's all about right. changing your behaviors and the link to, well, cognition, you know, um, to stop these sort of 
uh, how would you put it, um, negative pathways or connections or something mm. like that. Mm. Um, but this is what, yeah, this is my understanding of the psychedelic stuff as, as, as what it does. Mm. But, um, but oh, and maybe we could talk a little bit about your, your experiences. Cause like a tease at the top there, you, you went to Peru and it, part of a ayahuasca retreat, which, um, yeah, is interesting. And it also, I'm, well, I mean, let me not put words in your mouth. Why don't you, you know, let us know what, like exactly what the experience was, what, where you went, um, and like, what was, well, first of all, what, what made you want to do it? Is it curiosity or? Um, sure. Yeah. So the, the place that I went is called the temple of the way of light. And I found this place through, I was listening to a podcast, um, one of Tim Ferriss's podcasts with a guest he had on Gabor, Dr. Gabor Mate, um, who's actually, I think he's lives and spends most of his time here in Vancouver, working on the downtown East side with people who, uh, a lot of people who have, um, challenges with, with opiate addiction mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, he was discussing on this podcast with Tim Ferriss, the, like the, the benefits of ayahuasca experiences and his kind of uh, foray into that, that area. And he talked about working with a place down in Peru. And then, so I was Googling Dr. Gabor Mate ayahuasca and then this place came up. And then um, I, I looked at the, the, how much it costs. And I was like, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe something like that I could do in the future. And I kind of just put it in the back of my mind. Um, and then I just had some, some things come up in my personal life that really brought it back to the forefront for me. And then I like looked at my bank account and I was like, you know what, I have, I have the money to do this. Like, fuck it. I'm just going to go do it because I, I kind of felt like I had hit this. I'd reached this place where, you know, I'd been doing a lot of self-work and self-reflection and personal healing for quite a while a lot of it um i suppose in inspired by my a relationship that i was in and, and you know way, ways that i was trying to show up for my partner more in a way that she was expressing that she needed me to and um it kind of just it got to a point where we were having challenges and I was recognizing my own, like some challenges in my own personal life mm -hmm. around um, like depression was certainly something that I was struggling with. And I just thought like, fuck it, I'm just going to go and mm -hmm. do this. Because so it was, um, I just wanted to like, just set the context that it, it wasn't like you were just like, Oh, Hey, I like doing drugs. I'm going to go try this out. There was a, you had a purpose behind it. You had a, a, a reason for, you know, wanting to try this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like there wasn't I'm not sure if maybe some people think that it might be a fun experience, but that <laughs> but it uh I don't know if maybe it is for some people. It certainly wasn't. Uh <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it I mean it was like uh, it's hard it's Hard to put words on it. It was certainly fun in that it was like a fucking adventure. Like it was ex exploration, exploration into myself in, in this very, very exciting way. But it was also fucking horrifying and 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 challenging and and fucking scary. Um, but there, there was I think like the, these were all the ideas I had around it before uh, going there. Anyway, I knew that it was a very, very um, intense 
experience and nothing to be taken lightly. So yeah. So you had done some yeah. research. You had, like well, like you said, you've been following this guy, this researcher who was working with opiate addiction and stuff in in Vancouver. Yeah. So you didn't go into it, yeah, like naively, we'll say. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. And and I think like. Um, yeah, I, I, I had an intention going in. It was very much for for the reasons of, of personal growth and, and healing and overcoming some some um, like past traumas and, and things that I, I felt were holding me back, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, and I had um, I used to have problems with with alcohol addiction with um, like specifically, I, th- I suppose, binge drinking was my my problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something I, I quit drinking alcohol is maybe four and a half years ago. Um, and the, this, the decision to go was definitely linked to that, but it wasn't the driver for it. I, okay. I felt that I had already, like, I didn't, I didn't feel at the time, like I was struggling with alcoholism and I needed to go to overcome this. Like I'd already, I haven't been drinking now for yet yeah, four and a half years or something. And I went, I was just down in Peru in December. Um, but it was certainly like an investigation into like, okay, where did this addiction with alcohol come from? Right. Mm -hmm. Like what, what were the reasons for me getting so lost in this, uh, substance abuse for quite Mm -hmm. some time? Yeah. Yeah, Like self-medicating or something. Um, so then I'm curious then, like, so you find this place that you're, well, you got the idea, you want to try this, you want to do this, you have your reasons, you find this place that looks good you go down there, what's it like when you get there? And I am, I am curious too, is like what your feelings about the process were like, and the, the operation that they were running really, because you hear, you know, you hear good stories and you hear bad stories about people doing some of these retreats in different places. So you show up, you, what's the process? How do they, how do they bring you through it? And yeah, what did you, what did you get? What did you, what was your impression of it? Like it was well run, you felt safe, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I couldn't say, I can't say enough good things about the place that I went. I was very, very impressed with it. The like, so I, I kind of showed up in this place, uh, Quitos, and then met up with, there was a group of 23 of us that would um, all go through this together. We were all doing a 12 day retreat together and they, a representative of the temple came and met us and he took us on a bus and then a boat into the, into the Amazon to the location where the, the temple is. And then we kind of met everybody there the first day and they took us through like a bit of an orientation and everything. But the way that they, like this organization is very, very respectful to the, the traditional uses of this, this medicine, this, this, this um, plant medicine and they work with a, a group of um, Peruvian people, the the Shipibo, and they work with with healers, with with maestros. Um, they call themselves from from this group of people who were the ones guiding us through these these ceremonies. And then there was also some um, Western facilitators there, people who can speak English and and also have had like deep um, experiences with ayahuasca and are very well versed in um, the the types of like I get just well versed in in the experience yeah. and yeah. but but coming at it from a point of view of 
being able to speak English, being able to understand maybe more the perspective that like people like me are coming to the temple. Um, and yeah, I felt like I felt safe. I felt well taken care of um, the whole time. I had complete trust in in the facilitators and the maestros the whole time that I was there. And um, yeah, as, as far as like the legitimacy of, of the, te the Temple of the Way of Light, like, it, yeah, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastically run hmm. um, organization. Yeah. yeah, well, and, and I mean, that's good to hear, right? Because I mean, you're, you're obviously putting yourself your your trust in some in someone else. I mean, this happens any any time you travel and do and do something like this, you're you're at the mercy, I guess, of the people doing it. But I mean, you're in such a vulnerable state when you're in the drug state. So that's my, kind of my next question then is, so how many times did you did you do the ceremony? Um, and I mean, you can go into as much detail of what that experience was, was like for you. But then I'm also curious as to like, what was sort of the in between times? And did you was there a process after doing the ceremony of discussion, reflection? Was there people, was it, were you kind of just talking with the other people who had done it? Or was there maybe some kind of guidance from the facilitators as to what did you experience? How did that make you feel? You know, kind of trying to interpret or integrate that experience into your, into your well-being or whatever, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like that was that was a part of this whole experience that was um, very, very valuable in itself. Like not just the, you know, taking the ayahuasca, going through spending, spending time under the influence of the medicine and, and ceremony and kind of having everything come up there, but also the, the time spent outside of that. Like you said, um, you know, we would have, have the days free to discuss with the other people. Like we would, We'd eat meals together and everybody, you know, the next day after ceremony, people would be talking and sharing like the experiences that they had. Um, you were also like very, very welcome to just have some alone time if you needed. And there was designated areas in the lunchroom, the, the, the area where we ate meals, where um, like a table where if you were sitting there, everyone knew like you didn't want to speak to anybody. Yeah. Like, just, uh, <laughs> Staring <processing>. off at <laughs> Yeah. yeah. think in your entire... Yeah. yeah and and then there were um there were also several uh sharing circles that we had where we we all sat down together and basically went around um and you, you could speak how on whatever parts of your experience you you wanted to to share with the group um but there's also like really a, a lot of catharsis in in that action of of talking about what what you went through the night before maybe two nights previous and um maybe like now that you've had some time to kind of let it sink in process it a little bit and maybe understand a bit more about what you were actually learning from that or what parts of yourself you were accessing and then translating that into something that you could explain to the rest of the, the group uh, that was a very powerful experience for me. Mm -hmm. uh, also so do you think the, it would have been less less useful if you didn't have that aspect of it? Um, definitely for me, yeah. Because like vu the vulnerability of that action too is um, is is huge. Is it like sitting in a group of 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 people, like twenty three people who you've just met, 
and and sharing very very personal um parts of yourself is like that, that's fucking scary you know <laughs> you know like that's like for a lot of people that i mean for for me that that's scary that's scary but it like it takes courage for me to do that but it feels really good mm-hmm. uh, to do something like that and have other people like see and hear and and recognize like um parts of parts of me that i'm sharing with them mm-hmm. like a yeah camaraderie in that but i'm curious mm. then like because this is one of the things that came up um, when I was speaking with one of the heads of this mind foundation here in Europe, like I was explaining before we started, it's like a, it's like the maps equivalent, the, uh, in the U S uh, here in Europe. And the guy that one of the, like the co-founder of it was taught, I was, I was having a conversation with him and he was talking about one of the things, one of the services that they offer is they call it like um, integration workshops where it's mm-hmm. like, you've had a, so you've had a psychedelic experience. Now, what does that mean? You know, what does it, and how do you incorporate that into your life? Because Uh his position is that um, in Western society, we don't have sort of a, uh, a framework for these experiences. Whereas in, you know, the traditional uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and, you know, peyote or whatever, when you're talking with indigenous people or, cultures that have been using these things for a long time they have a framework right like you you Mm -hmm. you visit the shaman and or shaman and there's a purpose for this and there's a ceremony and stuff behind that whereas like we don't have that in our society and his his point is that we shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily just take the shamanistic tradition and try and force fit that into our society but rather we should try and find a way like if we're going to open up and have psychedelics in, in Western society and stuff, we should find a way to integrate them. So mm. I'm curious if when you were there, if like the, if you were brought into that sh- like kind of shamanistic way, like, was there a, like, what was the, what was the the language or the guidance from the people that were like administering? Was there someone that would, you would call like a shaman or a facilitator or something like that? And what, was it kind of just like, hey, here's a safe place to take this? Or was there like an explanation of like, this is why you take it? This is just, am I making sense here? Or? Um, yeah, so I can speak a bit more around. Um, yeah, I can just speak a bit more around like what, what happened once I arrived there, right? And so, um, yeah, the, the people who were taking the place of, of like a, a shaman and your use of that word would be like the, the Shipibo healers or the maestros that, mm-hmm. that we would call them there. Um, maestro just means master. Yeah. Um, and so these are these are people who have been working with with plants for most of their life and the training that they go through to to bring about like their expertise in this area is 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 something that I think is like very very foreign to uh, it was very foreign to me. Um, I can speak for myself in that like I have I have a tr- I have trouble kind of picturing how they see the world right because they they spent most of their life getting very very acquainted with with different plants um, that they work with and like sort of the process of. Um, becoming a maestro in the Shipibo culture is once you set down that path, you, you take several uh, dietas, they call them. These are 
that basically diets where you would you'll diet on one plant, one specific plant for quite some time. Sometimes it can sometimes it can be a couple of months, sometimes six months, a year, two years, three years. Um, and during this time, often they will spend most of that time in isolation. They'll go to somewhere in the jungle away from people and they'll just spend their time dieting on whatever specific plant they want to become more acquainted with while at the same time taking ayahuasca to like, I suppose, open up themselves to the interaction with this other plant that they're taking. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, and like over the course of this time, they'll eat very little food, whatever food is just necessary to keep, sur keep surviving basically until um, they've formed almost a symbiotic relationship with whatever plant they're dieting on. And they'll, and through this um, methodology of experience, they understand the effects of whatever plant they want to become more acquainted with. Yeah. And, in the, and in this way, they're becoming masters of this plant because they're almost um, becoming the plant for a, a period of time. It's like the only, almost the only thing that's moving through their system from day to day. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I used this analogy when I was talking to Jared about my experience and that, like, I, I, I was trying to think of like, how, like, how do they see the world? Like what, how do they understand the world? And I was, I was trying to, I was like thinking of, you know, if, if like a when a neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon is in front of a patient who has the top of their skull off and they're looking down at the brain and they know they need to fix something. And they, and because of their multiple years of experience and training, they know which part of the brain needs to be manipulated here. Mm -hmm. um, if I was, if I was right now put in some front of somebody with the top of their skull chopped off, looking at the top of that, at their exposed brain. And I, and I was told I need to fix something. I would be like, what the, like, I have no idea what the fuck to do <laughs> to do. I'm completely lost here. I don't know what I'm looking at. Right. And I kind of see it as like that, like that same way, like, um, that like a brain surgeon is an expert in this area and, and sees something completely differently than I would in that situation. Mm -hmm. These maestros, when they're, when they are like working with us in ceremony and, and, um, so, like tr helping to like move us through a process of healing, they are seeing something that I don't really, I can't really imagine what they're seeing. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't, in, you mean when they're seeing you go through the experience? Yeah, because the, the way that it would work is they would gather us in this a structure they called the maloka. It was a circular structure with a large pointed roof all, all made out of uh, wood. And we would all, we each had a place and we would all sit around the outside of the circle. And then when the ceremony would start, the maestros would, would come in and they... Um, we would one by one go up and, and drink the ayahuasca and then go back to our place. And as an individual, um, each of us would spend the entire ceremony, which usually lasted, we usually drank the ayahuasca around 8 p.m. and it usually lasted until uh, around one in the morning. Um, the effects would usually, for me, last much longer than, than that, but the ceremony, the, the, the ceremony would usually close around 1 a.m. Um, and during that whole time, each of, each of us is just spending that entire time just on our little, little bed on the, on the ground. And we have a chair that we can like sit in. Um, 
and that's it. It's a, it's like everything that's happening is happening in, in inside. There's no interaction. It's like, and it's, it's dark. It's, it takes place at night. You're not speaking to anybody else. You're either spending your time with your eyes closed or open. Even if they're open, it's usually so dark that like what's happening for you is mostly internal anyway. And during this time, the Shipibo maestros are, are moving around the circle and they, they sing to us. They sang to us what they call their Icaros. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I've heard of these. They're like specific, very specific um, chants or songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And so the Icaros is something that the, the maestros, they develop during their time spent in the jungle uh, doing these dietas with plants. And the Icaros is very much a translation of their experience with, with certain plants. And it is kind of their... Um, it's a tool. It's a, t- a tool that they use to speak to the ayahuasca within you and to help bring about whatever healing change needs to happen for you specifically. Hmm. And in that way, I suppose, like, so, so when I'm speaking of, like, when I was speaking of, I can't imagine what they see when, when they're looking at me, right? So in that situation, when it's, when it's dark and we're in the maloka and one of the maestros comes and sits in front of me and starts singing their ikaros to me, and the, the maestros also take ayahuasca, same as us, at the beginning of the ceremony. So they are also under the influence of, of the ayahuasca. And so when they are sitting across from me and singing their ikaros, you know, I, I imagine it in the same way that, like, that neurosurgeon is reaching down into someone's brain and, and maybe, like, I mean, it's not the best example because I, I, I imagine I don't know what a neurosurgeon is doing. Maybe they're like <laughs> cutting pieces out, but maybe that maybe that is a good example. Is like you're cutting something out, whether it be a tumor or something like that. Yeah. Um, that probably is a good analogy, right? Is like the maestro is looking at me and they're singing their ikaros, and their ikaros is probing through me and searching for the the sickness or whatever it is that needs to be healed or, or removed or purged, and they're helping me to to move that through myself, to, to, to rid myself of this and, and, um, change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is like, I don't know, I'm kind of maybe, you know, being a bit reductionist or whatever here. And I mean, this is kind of my nature as someone that studied science and whatnot, but I can imagine that there's people listening and saying like, well, what is the, you know, it's, it's not mystical, right? Like there's, there's chemical changes going on in the brain, um, you know, and there's this, this interaction that you're describing between you and this person, the, the maestro mm-hmm. and you. Um, but, you know, my, my inclination is to be like, well, it's not like some telepathic thing that's going on. There's got to be some kind of, there's obviously something going on, but maybe it's the mm-hmm. rhythm of the song interacts with you. But also like what you said at the beginning, where it's like you're kind of self-healing. So you're finding something in this interaction that mm-hmm. is allowing you to, I don't know, access something or experience something. But then that's kind of my question mm-hmm. is um, throughout this process, is it very much like, you know, you're seeing something and being like coming to an awareness like, oh, this is what's been bothering me. I need to confront that or I need to change that. Or is it kind of just this? I don't really know what's happening, but there's feelings, there's, you know, maybe visions or something associated with it. And then, you know, you're kind of like, well, I feel better, but I'm not really sure. Can I pinpoint exactly the moment where I had the breakthrough? That kind of thing. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So, I mean, to, to speak to that first point, you know, is like what's happening here? How, how is that, how is something happening? Like, is this all in an internal level? Um, is this, is the maestro actually like moving energy within me? Like, you know, obviously, so like, like my, uh, you know, I, I, I think I went, I went down there not really knowing, I don't, I don't think you can really know what, mm -hmm. what you're going to ex experience, but I, um, I had a much more spiritual experience than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And I, I think like I left, I left Peru feeling like there were many parts of that, that, that experience for me that are really beyond my comp comprehension when it comes to traditional methods of kind of like, like you're saying, like analyzing something from a scientific point of view and trying to understand like, okay, what is, what is happening here inside the brain, um, inside the body that is facilitating this healing mm -hmm. and how, mu how much of this interaction with the maestro is like the, their, their Icaros is like helping your brain grab onto a pattern and then like move something through, or are they actually like manipulating, um, energy within myself, like helping to heal something? Can they see what needs to be healed in some way that I don't understand? Right. Like these are, I, and certainly I think they can, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and like that's a difficult thing to take like, uh, at face value, but it's like, I left that experience kind of feeling like, okay, like there's something going on here that's beyond my comprehension and, yeah. the, and, um, in many ways is inexplainable. Right. But at the same time, at the same time, I'm not saying that it's like, it's just fucking magic and that I just like went, went down and, and had like everything happened to me, you know, like th this was very, like I, my, um, I've, I very much felt that like, yes, this was giving me the opportunity to do some work within myself and that, um, you know, you, you talked about like, what is that process like, right? So I think for, for me, a, a big part, and I think everybody everybody um, seems to experience this differently, which is the interesting thing. Like, so, you know, some people have very, very visual experiences um, where they will, yeah, they'll have these like fantastic visions, like pretty much these like waking dreams, right? Um, for me, that wasn't the case. I didn't really have these these visions, but I had I had like visceral experiences. I I, I felt I I felt things. Mm -hmm. I very much felt things. And and for me, the kind of process of healing that that took place was the way that I see it is that I was able to to access parts of myself that had been troubling me for for very, very long, a very, very long time. And to bring up feelings that I should have felt in those moments, but didn't let myself feel because it was too either maybe overwhelming or frightening or, or, or just because of the fact that like growing up as a, as a boy and as a, a young man, I, I was very like much closed off from my, my feelings and my emotions most of my life anyway. Sure, yeah just because of the way that men are, men tend to be socialized. Um, so this process allowed me to access, you know, I had a lot of memories come up. I had a lot of memories come up 
with the, the feelings and emotions attached to those memories that I never fully felt at, at, that, when the, at the time when, when these experiences happened. And, um, like, and so I, I would have, like, in, the way that I see it is that, um, you know, one of the facilitators, he, he said this while, while I was down there, is that, like, we can't, we can't ever really, like, let something go until we fully felt it. Mm-hmm. And, like, through that process of fully just feeling something and, and um, allowing ourselves to experience an, an emotion in its entirety, we can, it can leave our body. Our body no longer has to, like, hold on to that. Um, and so now that it like it's released in this awful fucking purge <laughs> like for the most part, right? Whether that, whether that like a lot of the time that's vomiting, right? There's a lot of fucking vomiting and just like, you know, for myself, I, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on my hands and knees, just like retching into a fucking bucket and like cr- crying and shivering and shaking. Um, Chill. And, yeah it's like yeah it's this like awfulness kind of like moved through me but then having having done that i i feel like i felt like i feel i very much feel i felt like at the time and i, I very much still feel this way is that like now i no longer have to carry that in me somewhere mm-hmm. you know that, where it's like where it is just manifesting in this like maybe small amounts of stress every day or anxiety or, or, or depression or disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like that was a really long answer. No, no, no. Get... That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's kind of what we were talking about, right? It's like, you're able to, you and I think this is what the, the folks I, I interviewed at the mind conference again, it was like, you have to be able to confront it in order to let it go. And so mm-hmm. having, being in this emotional or, you know, awareness space brought on by the by the medicine it allows you to do that jared mm-hmm. you haven't said much for a while what do you what's your um no I, mean, I think a lot of that makes sense right the idea of having to feel something completely in order to let it go mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like i can only speak like like if you're dealing with any sort of grief right whether it's like a loss of a loved one or anything you really have to like feel that thing all the way through in order to let it go or else yeah you're going to hold on to resentment or not be able to uh actually let that issue go right so that yeah. i don't know that makes uh, really good sense to me um but also like we made me curious like what was the like you were talking about like the prep like what, what were the few things you had to do on before you went down mm. right uh, like you were meditation and like i think like that's interesting right is that he kind of wants you to prep your your body and your psyche before mm. you uh yeah go down for an overhaul yeah definitely yeah and that that was a really important part of the whole process it was so they send out some um rec- some recommendations and some like also some strict guidelines as far as um ways to prepare and there's some some strict guidelines around like what sort of substances or um types of types of food you're eating before you go down there and um they very much say like you can't be taking any sort of any sort of like drug or like mind altering substance. I think it was at least like, it might've been a month before or, or two weeks, but um, I forget, I forget now, but um, like, that's very, very important. So and that would include as, like, if you were 
previously taking antidepressants and stuff like that. So with, with stuff like that, I'm not so familiar with the pharmaceuticals because, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think like they, they were also available to like speak to, speak to you beforehand. Okay. To, like, yeah, yeah. I, and, and I filled out like a form, like an application form applying for this process beforehand and where I talk about like my history, my kind of intention for going down there, any sort of uh, drugs that I might be taking consistently or anything like that. Um, but I think like, I think probably for the most part, like most pharmaceuticals are contraindicated with, with ayahuasca and like they recommend not taking them. Um, and then like the diet, there was dietary changes as far as like not eating, um, like beef and pork and, uh, limiting like oil and salt. And it was a very strict diet actually, like, hmm. <laughs> like one, one or two weeks before the arriving there. And then during the whole time that we were there, um, yeah, you're not, you're, you're eating pretty much just vegetables and like chicken or fish and yeah no salt or oils or any sort of spices or anything like that um and then as far as mental preparation they they recommend coming down there with an intention with a with a a, a very concrete intention around like why you're you're doing this and um one of the one of the kind of exercises that was i, I thought kind of cool with that was they they recommend making an intention object and and that's so that's something like while you're in this practice of um thinking about your intention and maybe meditating from day to day and trying to get closer to the source of like okay what's what's bringing me down here what's what's calling me to to go through this experience um when you find that intention to then spend some time creating an object while you're thinking about that intention that you can that, that you can then bring down with you and and sort of have this like physical representation of like this is why i'm here mm -hmm. um which i thought was a really cool exercise and so for me I, I like spent some time i went for a bike ride down to the beach i found a piece of driftwood and then i spent some time like just whittling that driftwood and carving it and then staining it into just like just this little object um and i think like a I think it's just like a handy exercise to, you know, sometimes it's kind of be kind of nebulous to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to fucking meditate and think about my intention for like what I want to yeah. do here. We, like when you actually have some sort of physical exercise to concentrate on, it can help your mind kind of move something mm -hmm. into the right places more easily. And I wonder how to like, again, you know, this is me going back to sort of maybe the reductionist thing of like how this actually works, but you, I could see how like, processes like this would center your you know like if you it's you know set and setting right like if you know if you're developing this ritual around like i'm gonna go do this thing with a specific goal or question or something in mind then yeah, yeah then that will be on your mind when you do the ceremony and then mm -hmm. therefore maybe you can you know that's what helps bring it out like it all makes that all makes sense was mm -hmm. the, when they said like intention, was it, was there like, was it like, I want to, you know, feel better or I, you know, or was it like a question, like, I'm curious about this or that, like, how did you form that? You know, and if it's, you don't want to go into detail, no, no worries, but I'm just mm -hmm. curious as to like, yeah, like, how do you, how specific or vague was that sort of intention when you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so they, they leave it very open-ended 
um, in that regard is like, this is a, you know, it's, uh, it's up to each individual like, to understand really why they're coming down there. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it can be, um, it can be specific and it can be also more broad. And I think like for myself, there were certain specifics that it was linked to. And then from the, mo- from a more general sense, like my intention was very much going down there with like wanting to just finally accept myself for who I am and, and love myself so that, um, you know, for me, it was very much about like overcoming some things within myself, accepting myself, loving myself so that I could in turn come back and, and love other people in my life with my whole heart instead of, you know, from my own kind of perspective on challenges that I was having instead of always kind of holding back because I was maybe afraid of being too vulnerable or afraid of getting hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And then after going through, you know, an hour of retching on the floor in the dark in the jungle, that's like, it's about as vulnerable as you can get. I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's like, there's so many facets of this, of this process and experience that, um, I think contribute to the the feeling of like I can speak for myself for my own well being that I have I have felt since coming back from this and that I think a lot of people share is that like um, there's there's so many things at play there's this like there's this purging of of shit that like you've just been holding on to that you don't want to be holding on to anymore this like this allowing this like release of of that um, there's also the 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 courage that it takes to, to be doing this, you know, like, the, like the, I've, I've never been tested in, in my life. Like I was tested down there. Mm. Like after, after the, the third ceremony was incredibly, incredibly challenging and, and horrifying for me. And to then go back to then walk back into that Maloka for the fourth ceremony with the intention of, of drinking ayahuasca again and fucking, like handing my control of, of my, my body, my mind over to this, the substance, this medicine again, knowing that it might send me back to that same place of, of terror, like doing that, like took, took more courage than I've ever had, than I've ever had to, to show, to do to display in my, in my life. And, and knowing now, like after having gone through that, that I can do that, like that, that provides like a very, very strong feeling of self-worth. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that that's a part of it. A part of this whole thing too, is like, um, that a lot of people get out of, it, out of it and that I really got out of it was like having the courage to go in there to, to venture down into the, into the darkness within myself and confront whatever, whatever is there. And um, to not turn away from that, to, to just fucking face that and, and do it several times. Like, you know, we had, we went through seven separate ceremonies, um, which is, which is like a fucking marathon. It's just like, it's, it's a lot, (laughs) it's fucking a lot. And it's like, like going through that, like, um, being able to, to do that has, you know, I, I kind of feel like now, like what, I don't think that I could ever um, confront anything that would be more difficult than that was. Hmm. So, I mean, it's definitely since you've done it, you said it was in December, so it's been 
yeah, six months or so. So you've definitely noticed improvement in your life since then. Like, it's not like it's, you know, you feel the effect and then it starts to maybe wane over time. Like, do you feel like there was like a change or you got some benefit from it that will now you'll carry with you moving forward? Mm -hmm. Um, definitely, definitely. Like this was very much a life changing experience for me. And, um, I, it w it was dramatic. And I, and I think, you know, I was saying this to Jared the other day, like, I don't, I don't, I didn't really understand what, a, what having a life changing experience meant <laughs> before, before going down there, you know? And then like, yeah. I, I think it was like, while well, I was maybe midway through that experience, I suddenly realized like, oh, okay, like I'm, I'm not going to be the same again after this. Like this is, this is a life changing experience. And my, and, um, you know, I've, I've, and a bit like a big thing for me that I got from that, from this was, was connection, connection to myself and then, and also feeling able to more able to, to connect with others um, and, and, and also just like the earth and like my place here will, will connect with my own life too. Like um, instead of feeling more, like feeling actually some ownership, some responsibility over my, over myself and my own life um, instead of maybe feeling like a unwilling passenger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> at some points. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, I like the, the, this, you're talking about like the difficulty, the journey of it, because I mean, another way that this is done in some cultures is the, like the spirit, the vision quest or whatever in some native American cultures where it's like more or less the hardship of it, like being out in the woods and the elements with very little food and water. I mean, that puts your brain in this similar kind of state, this similar sort of hallucinogenic, whatever state, but it's also that hardship, right? Like it's going through that thing. Um, so that's, yeah, that's fascinating. And I mean, I've always, you know, I've been curious with these kind of things, but I never felt, you know, like my, my interest in it, obviously it's, it's fascinating from a scientific point of view. Um, I think from a kind of, I'm not a religious person in any way. Um, I like to think that I'm kind of spiritual, I guess, you know, there's mysteries mm -hmm. of the universe that I like contemplating and I think are interesting and, and things like this, but for me, it would, it would it's always kind of. And this is, I think, the wrong way to go about it. It's like the curiosity. I'm just curious. I don't right. feel like I, you know, I think I'm blessed in, in the fact that I don't feel like I need it. Like I, I would struggle, I think, with the intention part of it. Mm -hmm. my, my intention would just be like, let's see what mm -hmm. happens. You know, like I'm curious to know myself. I mean, I am curious to know myself. I'm all these different things. So you mentioned lucid dreaming. I've toyed around with that, meditation and things like that. But mm -hmm. so I think it's like, I think that's like, one of the reasons that I wouldn't do it because I don't want to be frivolous with it. And what you're no. describing is not, that doesn't sound like a fun, like yeah. smoke a joint with your buds and you know, <laughs> listen to Pink Floyd or some shit. Jared, yeah. what, what do you, what's your take on the whole thing? Yeah, no, it sounds terrifying. Um, I think like, yeah, more like I would be interested in doing it. Um, but I don't think I've like more. So I think there's a lot of work you have to do before you get go get yourself into something that's uh you know that's serious like you know you don't you don't go run like an ultra marathon you know without training for a regular marathon and i'm not even you know i'm you got to get up off five the couch. minutes 
Yeah, I gotta get up. I, yeah, yeah. I haven't got up off the uh, the mental couch, as it were. You know, uh, like before this, like Owen had went and did a, uh, a silent meditation retreat, right? Mm-hmm. For how long is it? Yeah, I did a ten day uh, vipassana meditation um, retreat in in Thailand, and so Jesus. Um, yeah, pre- previous to yeah. going down to Peru and doing ayahuasca, that was the most challenging thing I've ever done. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was your marathon. Yeah, like that was did an and, ultra marathon. <laughs> yeah, and I and you know and like having that experience that like spending ten days in in silence with myself, um, that gave me some confidence going down into Peru because I felt like I had already kind of overturned some stones mm-hmm. and looked at, looked at some some things and began to maybe understand some parts of myself and, and pinpoint some parts of myself that I wanted to change. Right. But, you know, I also, I also recognize that like not, not everybody has, um, you know, like I'm sure there's lots of people out there who, who feel fucking good and, and like do feel connected with themselves and like they, they have appreciation for themselves and love themselves. Um, and maybe, maybe don't feel like the, the need to like go do something like this to, to heal something. Um, and that's okay. But I, I think like, I, I wouldn't say that there's still no benefit to it. Mm-hmm, right. And mm-hmm. I, I think like approaching it with the, a healthy am- amount of respect is, is a, a good way to go about it because it's like um, you are, you are like, as soon as you, as soon as you drink the ayahuasca, you're, that's it. You're fucking better. You better strap in because yeah. like, like you can't you're take salt out of that soup. <laughs> you're handing over control to 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 something else, and um, so you you need to be prepared for wherever that might take you, and and the and the unexpected places that that might take you. Um, but I think like you know going in with an, an intention of just like curiosity around around yourself. Um, I, I think that's still like a, a, a good way to go into it. Right. Cause it like, um, I think the only, I think the only bad way to go or like irresponsible way to go into it would, would be to like thinking that you're gonna like do it at a house party or, or something yeah. like this, like just to um, get fucked up kind of thing. Yeah. Just to get fucked up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Which yeah. is like. I would think also. Well, you will get fucked up. Yeah. Well, of course. No, no two ways about that. <laughs> <laughs> it might just be a different type of fucked up. Yeah. But, but it could, <laughs> I think it's just. I think it's just that like this might this this is like getting fucked up in a way that like could have lasting consequences. Yeah. Yeah. It could. Weren't, yeah. weren't prepared for for what it might like show you or something. I like think. This. I think the other thing too is that if if people think like that this is going to be a quick fix, you know, I think that's another thing that you see a lot in sort of the alter, you know, the community, you know, there's the scientific community and then there's the traditional community that, that deals with this stuff. But then you get a lot of the, you know, sort of whatever new agey kind of stuff that gets a little, I don't know. Then they're, I'm a little, I'm a less of a fan of this kind of, you know, view on these things where they're like, you know what, pharmaceuticals are just there to, you know, keep you sick. They want to just keep you, but if you just do ayahuasca or ibogaine or whatever it is, then you're cured and you don't, you know, but it's mm-hmm. like, I think that's a bad way to go about it too. Um, and mm-hmm. it sounds like this place asked something of you, you know, mm-hmm. and didn't sort of guarantee that 
this was just going to fix all your problems. Like they asked like that you work on this before you go down because it's not a quick fix. It's not a matter of just sip this thing and you're cured, you know? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And they also focus very much on integration um, at in the, like the last, uh, well, throughout the whole experience, but then especially in like the last few days um, before everyone leaves is um, like, okay, now what happens? Mm -hmm. Because now you're going to leave this little bubble, this little like almost like very like while I was there, it very much felt just completely separated from from everything else, from all other aspects of my life. And I was able to just fully sink into kind of what was happening in this little like kind of protected little bubble. Mm -hmm. um, but like physically, you are, and then mentally as well, right? Like you're literally like you took a boat into the middle of the jungle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah, so like so, yeah, ge geographically separated, mentally separated from everything. Like, and you know, they they um, they take your foot. Like, well, they don't take your phone, but they they say like, if you want, you can put your phone in the safe, so you're not tempted to use it. Or if you if you if you know you're going to be able to resist any sort of temptation, just turn it off, keep it in your room. But uh, you know, I didn't look at my phone the whole time I was there. It's like very very disconnected. Like, and that's a very important. Is like mm. to be disconnected from the outside world, from your life outside of this, and to like focus on the internal while you're here. Um, but they do bring that up as they say, like, okay, now what happens? Because you're going to leave here, you're going to go back to your life, and suddenly, like, you're going to be back in in the place where you're going about your day, and you sink back into your routines, and your brain is going to want to just jump back into those old patterns that it, have, like have been worn down through like the months or years or whatever it may be. And like that, that's not just in your, in your day-to-day -day actions in life, but also your relationships, your relationships with people. Um, and I think that is one of the, probably the most difficult parts of, of trying to enact personal change and, and, and uh, execute on personal growth is the, the relationships, human relationships, because other people have an idea of who you are, right? And so it's like me coming back from Peru now and I come and I meet up with Jared. Jared has an idea of who I am through our our interactions, our experiences, our friendship together, right? But now after having this experience, I very I feel very much different and changed. But Jared doesn't know that. Yeah. Jared didn't have that experience, and so like Jared still is going to want to like interact with me the same way that we've always interacted. And if I want to like be different, it's going to take like um very conscious action to like change our change the way that I interact with, with Jared and with my other friends. Right. Um, and, you know, so they, they, they talk about this and they, they talk about like um, integrity, integrity as being like um, true, true to your word and under understanding like what your values are. And like, that was also like a big focus they put on this experience is, is getting in touch with like, what is your, um, what are your, what are your core values? What, like, um, I forget the, the wording has like escaped me at the, at the moment, but it was, um, it was like getting in touch with like basic, basically like your purpose almost. Um, and having come to an understanding maybe of like what that is through this experience. Okay. Like now, how do you live your life true to that? Hmm. And how do you 
how do you how do you stay in alignment with yourself once you leave here and you know and, and they said because like actions actions are now the the important part is like you you've you've spent a lot of time in this internal space um within yourself while while you've been here and now you're going to go back out into the world and the way that you act your actions are going to like that is what that is what determines like your impact it doesn't like what we think about things is that's important but our actions determine the impact that we have on, yeah. on other people and on you need on, both you can't just have one or the it, other yeah ex- exactly and so they say like if you if you leave here and you just have and like you don't actually execute on this and and like change the way that you act that um then this is just an experience this just becomes another a memory a a, a nice memory or a, or an interesting experience but um if that's all that it becomes then what was the value yeah there's no consequences for the rest of your life or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um i just got like you know, we could start wrapping it up or whatever here so unless you got something jared my question is was there anyone in your group or that you saw that did not handle it well or you know that maybe left kind of being like i shouldn't have done that or you know did what did you see that or did ever did, did the people you were you were with kind of all walk away universally being like that was a, a useful experience mm. um yeah that's a good question and like that the on on like what day you ask someone that question could change important because <laughs> right? this is this is like a this is a 12 day um you're spending 12 we spent 12 days there and we drank ayahuasca in, in seven separate ceremonies over that time and throughout that time like and, and so something they they told us all at the beginning which was very important is that like the um it's important for you what they said to us is it's important for you to trust that this is a process and to see it through to the end mm-hmm. because it's a process and then it's going to take you somewhere to to some sort of conclusion and if you leave halfway through when thing when you're down in the fucking darkness and and like and it fuck everything is horrible you're you're missing out on on like the important part of like coming back up into into the right. light yeah. and, gaining some sort of understanding of something so like certainly like there was a there i maybe it was day five or um i think it was it was after the fourth ceremony for me when i was in a a mental space of feeling very convinced that like this was this was a fucking mistake (laughs) like i was and that like you're done yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and you know and i was I had lost confidence completely in that process that they said to trust in. I was like in this place of despair and kind of hopelessness. And it took some very like wise words from one of the facilitators to kind of like bring me back um, into confidence with, with the the process and with myself. Um, And then 
and then I and then at the end it was like a very different feeling it was like okay like I like that was worth it for me and I think you know I can't speak for for everyone but from like from what I could tell um I believe that that everyone else felt the same way mm -hmm. like I certainly I certainly saw people go through struggles and and um be be stuck in this like in a, a somewhere that wasn't like a very in, yeah and sometimes like a hopeless and dark place but it seemed to me that at the end of it after that seventh ceremony everyone had kind of come out into this um state of of um like learning and, and liberation and understanding the value of of the experience yeah man it sounds like a hell of a journey mm. but um, yeah, it was. It was. yeah like i said jared do you have anything you want to tack on or add yeah no 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 you're I just think, looking uh, stunned over there <laughs> like i said yeah it was it was tough to interact with Owen when he came back i tried to get him to drink again <laughs> i thought I thought the journey was going to fix him. Yeah, uh, he was going to be able to drink again. Like he was very fun when he drank. Um, but yeah, no, he wouldn't. I don't know. He wouldn't drink. So I don't know, man. I don't. I don't think it did jack shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a dumb plant, I guess. I don't know, dude. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like he seems happier, I guess, and he's like dropping yeah, all I this guess. knowledge he's and not wisdom. Drinking, so how could he be happy? Yeah. I don't. Know. <laughs> I don't need to go down there and do that. Like I'm for. I'm fine yeah I'll, I'll stick i'm like I'm, I'm like perfect brad over here yeah true i'll just stick to eight beers a day and you know be fine but hey i live in i live in germany that's just the norm here that's what everybody that's their culture. <laughs> no that was sweet hey man uh, owen thanks for for coming on here and sharing that that's really cool and like i said it's something i'm really fascinated in and probably going to cover a bunch more times on this podcast mm. so it was great meeting you. it was great talking to you about that um sure yeah you too brad yeah thanks for having me yeah on. well we can yeah, thanks brady you're welcome to come back at any time uh to talk more about it or or anything if, if you've listened to any of the episodes jaren and i have done you know that we just like to talk shit so yeah cool yeah i'd love to <laughs> that'd be great awesome jared always good to see you i know you got a unicycle wheel you got to fix yeah you got to get to your you got to get to your juggling <laughs> retreat so um we'll let you go all right well there you have it my many many thanks to owen and to jared for coming on for this episode as always thank you to the freak motif for the music sebastian abood for the logo um follow us at two brad for you instagram twitter you can hit me up at bvamparadon instagram twitter uh and rate comment subscribe all that stuff wherever you're getting your podcasts we greatly appreciate it and stay safe out there folks if you're gonna experiment with any of this stuff do so very very carefully and i would recommend talking to many people before you even think about doing this um that's just the disclaimer so thank you again for listening love you all take care till next time bye now